inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. Yes, it is time for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Our program today is brought to you by the Willie Store, family-owned since 1900 in Greensboro. By Polly Construction on Gregory Drive in South Burlington, where one call does it all. By Montpelier Agway, your locally-owned Montpelier Agway on East Montpelier Road. By Menards, family-owned True Value Store on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By Clausen's Florist Greenhouse and Perennial Farm in Colchester. Top quality Vermont-grown plants since 1972. By V's Flowers and Garden Shop. Flowers, hanging baskets, annuals, house plants, potting supplies, and more. V's Flowers and Garden Shop in Waitsfield. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's largest independent home center. Go to sticksandstuff.com. There you'll find store locations, hours, and specials. By PR Lumber, Route 15 in Walcott. Family Mill Lumber for all your projects. PR Lumber. Yes, they're on Facebook as well. By Guy's Farm and Yard, with four locations to serve you. If it eats and grows, guys can feed it. Guy'sFarmandYard.com online. And by Dandelion Acres Garden Center in Bethel. They sponsor the In the Garden podcast. They're online at dandelionacres.com. Peter is here to answer your questions and to hear your gardening comments. Give us a call anytime at 802-244-1777. And right now, here is the host of In the Garden, Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. Hi. Oh, beautiful day out there, huh? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, just a note for anybody who's driving from Waterbury to Montpelier or Montpelier to Waterbury, it is slow going. They're paving, and I sat for about 15 minutes before I took my turn to go. Uh, so if, you, if you're driving either way, take the interstate. <laughs> <laughs> and skip it. They do that just to be nasty. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I was I was actually enjoying the ride, thinking of how smooth that road was. So, I guess there is a benefit in the long run. But well, they they get it all paved, and then it becomes another drag strip, <laughs> and all those big, you know, all season yeah. tires tear it up again. And yeah. next next year at this time, they'll be paving again. Paving again, yeah. Well, today's the day. Uh, that uh, you're going to have to, um, you want to avoid that particular spot, at least from my experience, anyway. Hey, Joel, uh, we went up. I, my, my, uh, I'm actually on vacation, and my uh, grandsons came up with uh, with my daughter-in-law, and my son is due up today. But yesterday, we went up to the Fairbanks Museum, and uh, I, I'm sure you've been there. Uh, but it is a, a just, it's delightful for the boys. And, uh, girls, uh, of just about any age, but these, these guys, uh, that we took up were, you know, f- five and six or four and a half and six. And, and they were just like, oh, look at this, Gramps. Look at this, Gramps. Look at this, Gramps. And we did something that, uh, they have started a, uh, a butterfly house. Ooh. And they have in that house in pots, uh, a lot of the plants that the butterflies use, uh, you know, for, uh, for nectar. And, uh, and so, uh, and my, my son planted a, uh, butterfly garden down in New York for the kids. And, and, uh, his wife Allison said that there's, uh, just a lot of butterflies on those. It really worked. Great. So, uh, it's, uh, uh, I'll have to look into it because I find it fascinating. And it's, it sort of dovetails with what, uh, we were talking about last week with the people who didn't have good luck with their zucchini is that, you know, uh, it may help to plant something that attracts the, the pollinators. Mm-hmm. 
And But anyway, we were so lucky, we actually got to see a butterfly coming out of its little uh, oh, wow. chrysalis, I guess is what they call it, or cocoon. And, he, you know, he was just sort of like sh- just shaking a little bit for a while, and it was sort of a green-looking little, you know, bean-sized thing. And then all of a sudden you're shaking around, and then you saw a leg, and then a wing, and then a – and it was, it was very fascinating. <laughs> well, we have a – a really interesting. Now, my brother identified it, and I can't remember, mm-hmm. but a really incredible green and black striped worm mm. on the parsley plant, mm-hmm. and uh, he identified it. And we're hoping that it'll go through well through this. Actually, I haven't looked for about a week, so he's mm-hmm. probably there already. But uh, he said it'll turn into a, and he gave us the type certain mm-hmm. kind of butterfly. So, mm-hmm. so we're keep, keeping. I haven't actually, but uh, yeah. I, I should. That'll be the first thing I do when I get back home. But, Take a look, see what's, uh, see what's, what's up. Yeah, yeah, but the last thing we looked at was this rather attractive, very stylish butterfly. It looks like one of my wild ties, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if I, I'm just recalling, that might actually be a monarch. No, it wasn't a monarch. That's no. what I thought at first. That's oh, yeah, yeah. Because they were showing, they had uh, sheets, you know, mm-hmm. that showed the different types. And I just remember the the stripes on the monarch, you know, were, were really very distinct. Yeah. Anyway, it was. Uh, if anybody gets a chance, uh, it's a great place to take the kids, uh, and the butterfly garden is really, really uh, a lot of fun. Of course, we were in there, and then all of a sudden, it just poured buckets. <laughs> I mean, buckets. And so there were, you know, probably twenty people all sitting around, and they have lots of benches, so you could just sit and and look for the. Uh, look for the, for the butterflies. And so, you know, we sat down, ate our lunch and waited and, and one of the fellas, uh, who was with us, uh, was watching the radar, you know. He was like, oh, it's gonna be soon. We're gonna be able to run back. And so, we, uh, we got out and watched the dinosaur movie and, and had a good old time, but, uh, uh, I'm just intrigued by the butterfly garden. And if anybody has a butterfly garden, I'd really love to hear about it and what you plant and uh, what your experience has been. You know, I, I sort of have by default or by accident uh, a pretty good butterfly garden because, you know, uh, uh, lots of the uh, – uh, you know, lots of the plants that we let grow uh, as just plain old everyday weeds, um, like the milkweed. That's probably the most notable. And, of course, the monarch absolutely love that, as well as the bees and everybody else. And me, frankly, I love the scent. It's almost as intoxicating as lilacs. You know, it's very, very beautiful. So... Um, I found that it was interesting in the butterfly garden in that they were advocating planting um, uh, native plants because a lot of the butterflies really rely on the native plants. Um, so when you're doing a butterfly garden, you want to sort of research that a little bit to make sure that you're planting the plants that are, that would be native here and that the, the various uh, butterflies and, and uh, creepy crawlers there are, uh, that are, that they actually feed off of. Now, it's interesting because, you know, like the monarch, it actually relies on a very few plants, uh, the milkweed being one of them, um, you know, to say, sustain itself. And I sort of just figured, well, a source of nectar is a source of nectar, where which plant or the other plant. But um, it's sort of a there's a specific it's a specific uh, plant uh, for a specific butterfly. Yeah, you know, our guy. I just went and I checked on the uh, emails. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother says that the one we have, which mm-hmm. is very colorful, and mm-hmm. he also sent us a picture of a monarch. Mm-hmm. Caterpillar mm-hmm. and uh, similar but not the same. Ours is a black swallowtail butterfly. I saw one yesterday. Yeah, and that's a black that swallowtail, which is, I mean, it's a good size. You know, probably what three inches. Yeah, it's a big juicy worm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, worm this is, the the butterfly itself is well, black and it's haven't a, seen one yet. And it's a swallowtail because it's got a long tail like oh. the swallow bird. Yeah. 
And, uh, I'm it, having some uh, butterfly prosopagnosia, you know, not recognizing. <laughs> That's a, one of my old terms from when I was a grad student in some yeah, arcane yeah, science. You're much but, too experienced yeah, to have was, butterflies. So, yes, yeah, so I, I can't picture one is what I'm trying to say. But uh, I'm curious to see. I'd be very curious to see uh, what he turns into. If I don't get to see it, then I'll look up swallowtail butterfly. It's see. solid black. Oh, it is. It is solid black, huh. and then it has those two long tails at the huh. end of the the wings, and then there's there's a it's solid black except for just a like a white stripe, and as I'm recalling it, it almost seemed like it was it rimmed the the wings. It was white on the ring, but I don't go by me. I'm just sort of going from memory from yesterday. So anyway, it's fascinating. Uh, Amazing creatures, uh, yeah. especially this year where, where I don't have much of a garden. So mm-hmm, most mm-hmm. of the most of the creatures are just whatever whatever species they are. Yeah, they're big and fat and, and eating a plenty. You know. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I, it's in contrast to the honeybee, which is any source of nectar is a source of nectar to them, whether it's. Uh, Clover, or, or, or you know, flowering, time, creeping thyme, or whatever. You know, it's uh, apples or peaches or pears or whatever. All, all of those things um, uh, are the game for the, the honeybee. Speaking of which, it was interesting. Um, uh, where we're renting right now, the, he's got eight uh, pear trees. And uh, he actually, because he doesn't use but a little bit for himself, he... Um, he uh, has these uh, gleaners come in, and they take um, they take all the pears that are uh, that are ripe. Now, that is sort of uh, an interesting question: is uh, how do you know when a pear is ripe? And uh, the problem with pears is if you let them ripen to softness, they're actually overripe and yeah. they don't keep well. So you wanna you want the pears to be ripe. But you don't want them, you know, to be soft. So, um, what I did uh, Friday after work when I came home is I went down and on each tree I took a knife and I cut open a pear and looked to see if the seeds were black. And I looked to see if the drops, if there were any drops and what was the shape of the drops and that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, uh, so then, um, uh, well, it wasn't Friday after work. It was Tuesday after work because I took my vacation Wednesday to Wednesday. <laughs> now that I think of it, <laughs> the next day, Wednesday. <laughs> uh, yeah, my rhythm is off a little bit. They, they, all the days start to seem the same. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> I look on the calendar, you know. Oh, I'm at DEV. I'm, I'm, on, I'm at, on, on the air half hour ago. I better start uh, firing up the car. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had that same sort of feeling because it was like, oh, Oh, it's Friday. I have to go to go to the show, do the show tomorrow, you know, because usually. Well, anyway, um, so uh, I went through them, and there were two trees that those seeds were were white. Um, the meat was actually sort of sour, and they were hard as rocks. So you know, those were ones to not pick. And then the third one, it's actually you could, the seeds were. Just starting to turn, they were just a, like a little bit of a, a tan, you know. So they would they'd be ripening soon. And when I tried them, the meat was actually sweet, but they were still very hard. Um, and then as I progressed, almost all the rest of the trees, the seeds were black, uh, the meat was sweet, um, even though it was still pretty hard. And then some of the drops had started to yellow a little bit, where. But even those ones that had yellowed were were still really firm. So they picked uh, um, uh, the last count was over 300 pounds of of uh, of pears. Wow! Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's it's <laughs> you've got to tip your hat to these people. They're they're taking them to uh, you know to food shelves and to. Uh, you know, old folks' homes, and you know, all all types of different places where they really can use the use the help and use the food. So, do you have one of those computer contraptions in that studio of yours? There, 
Uh, yeah. Oh no! I just emailed you a picture of our butterfly. I also oh, put it. Oh. I'll put it on the website too. In a, oh yeah, in a I got it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, my my <laughs> my contraption is my phone. Oh oh! <laughs> Holy Christmas! What you, you sure that that's not a? That looks a lot like the horn. It looks like Godzilla. It, it does look like, but no horns. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So that's what, and my brother, he's usually right. I hate to admit it, a little rat, but uh, ever since we were kids. He, yeah, your brother's right. You're wrong. It looks like mom always liked him best. Remember the mother's I brothers? I remember Yeah, well. my mother always liked you best. But anyway, he's usually right, and that's, yeah. that's what he says. Anyway, we'll put it on our website if anybody's. Black Swallowtail. Black Swallowtail. And it, it is literally a black... Uh, butterfly. Yeah, and it's well. chomping down on, on a parsley plant. I'll be darn. Boy, really? <laughs> oh my gosh, it really is cleaning it's, up that plant, isn't yeah. it? Well, we have plenty of parsley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, that's great. Well, so, um, that was my, my lecture on how to tell a, if a, if a fruit is ripe. And yeah. that applies to both pears and apples. Yeah. You know, so if you, if you want to, um, you know, if you want to double check, uh, you know, if you have some honey crisp, those will probably be white still, or Max will probably be white. But uh, I grow a, a pristine, which is a, an early uh, yellow transparent, yeah. and you know those are all ripe and ready to go, and uh, they'll they're you know they're dropping. I got some at the co-op too, and and uh, they're they're soft. They're not a keeper at all. You know, they, these are these are early apples, and they're made to to use right away. Or if you're going to freeze some apples or dry them, you know, they're they're perfect for that because they sweeten up soon. They're nice and soft, and and uh, they're delicious, mm. pristine. A yellow transparent. It's in that it's in that category anyway. Yeah, a lot of. Uh in, a, in my neighborhood, uh, a lot of crab apple trees. Mm. I used to have mm. one, but it was too close to the road, and mm. the road crew took it. But mm. all my neighbors have them, and boy, they make good crab apple jelly. Crab I used apple to do jelly. That. Yeah. It's the only thing I can think to use them for. Right. Crab apple sauce doesn't really. It doesn't really. You know, yeah. no. <laughs> the only reason you use that is to put a little color in a, yeah. in a regular old yeah. apple sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Lordy. But, boy, they sure are pretty in the spring, no question about it. So uh, one of the things that I was wondering about, uh, and somebody had asked about a couple of shows ago, was his uh, tomatoes weren't ripening. Mm -hmm. And um, um, in one of the blogs I was reading, it, uh, it mentioned a couple of ways to ripen tomatoes, and I thought they were pretty useful. Um, I had I have heard of this uh, as well for for cabbages to uh, keep them from cracking. Is you just take your shovel about a foot away from the plant, maybe six inches, and just cut the roots in you know one cut for the cabbage, but for the tomatoes you want to actually uh, cut all the way around them. So for me and my uh, my trellis, I would you know make a cut in front of the trellis and. A, a cut behind the trellis in the back side of it, and that that spurs the ripening um, uh, you know spurs the plant to to ripen its fruit so if you're at that stage and and it it won't be too much longer, basically four weeks until we have our first hard frost. So if you have a lot of big green tomatoes and you're thinking, hmm, are they going to make it or not well. Give this a try. You really don't have an awful lot to lose, but make sure when you do that that you give them a good water afterwards because they, you know, the feeder roots will be, uh, some of the feeder roots will be cut and, you know, so you want to make sure that there's plenty of water there to, to, you know, enhance the ripening process and not kill the plant. Um, and that's, that's one way to hasten up that ripening process, particularly if you've got some big, big fruits. Um, you know, for, you know, your cherry tomatoes, you probably don't have to do anything like that. Or you know, They call it, you know, root pruning, technically, but that's, that's, um, that's the short and the long of it. The other thing you can do, of course, is, um, 
if you want to ripen them on the vine, you're going to have to be ready to protect them to get any more time, uh, ripening time. A lot of times we'll get a frost, you know, at the end of September sometime. And usually they're fairly light. And if, if you can survive that first one, you'll have another probably two or three weeks of ripening time before you get the hard frost. If you know there's going to be a hard frost and there's really not much else you could do, you have a couple of other tactics, of course. Um, probably the most notable and most used is picking the uh, tomatoes and, and wrapping them in newspaper and, um, uh, putting them in a box or, a, you know, something where it's dark. Uh, some people, uh, will ripen them on the windowsill. Um, and that works fairly well, although it's not the number one recommended uh, for quickly ripening. Um, and then one little trick that you can do when you have your, uh, tomatoes all boxed up or in a bag wrapped in newspaper is you can put like a, an apple peel in there and that, uh, that will, I think it's, uh, ethylene gas or some gas that, that, uh, comes from the apple peel and it helps to hasten the ripening of the, the tomatoes. If you do that though, I have to tell you, uh, you probably get, you know, most of your, uh, uh, ripe tomatoes by Christmas time. You know, this won't, the more than likely will not last much longer than that. Maybe, maybe through New Year's. Um, but anyway, throw that uh, uh, a piece of apple peel in there or two or three, and, and that'll help to hasten the ripening. And uh, if you're doing this, you want to make sure that you check them every week. Don't don't let a a week go by that you don't just dig in there and root around and make sure that you get the the reddest ones there. Um, if you have something that's a good solid pink, you can bring it out and ripen it the rest of the way. Um, you know, on the, on the windowsill, but, um, you want to watch for anything that's, uh, that has started to rot because then that'll spoil a whole bunch of the other ones. And, uh, let's see. We'll finish up after the break. Okay. Yeah. We'll see you on the other side. Dandelion Acres is a beautiful garden center in central Vermont where you can find gorgeous flowering hanging baskets, annuals, perennials, trees, and shrubs. They also have an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes and can also offer helpful advice to make your growing season a success. There's pottery, garden furniture, statuary, and decor from the whimsical to the sublime. Dandelion Acres Garden Center is in Bethel, Vermont. Go to dandelionacres.com for current operating hours and COVID caveats. Am I, are we just talking here without the microphone on? I think that's exactly what we were doing. Jack was part of the conversation. You didn't hear either, too. You know. I apologize. We're the, we are the professional talkers, but we decided this time, ah, we'll just talk among ourselves. I did that this morning with Farmer Dave. I say, am I on the air? Because my ear kept cutting off. Am I on the air? I can hear myself. Okay, so, okay, so we're going to eliminate the seven words we can't say and invite everybody back into uh, the conversation. Have one, have a show. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, whoops. Uh, see you later, Jeff. You know what the eighth word is that you can't say? You no, know I don't know. Fescue. Really? Fescue. Fescue. It's very close. It's just on the edge. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> oh, I get it now. Okay. Well, <laughs> Oops, now there's a, there's a telephone. <laughs> we were hoping it's a caller and not the general manager, but it could, could well be at this point. Good uh, afternoon. You're on the air with Peter Burke in the garden. Hey, good afternoon, Joel. Uh, yeah, this is Steve from over in Roxbury. Uh, I was wondering uh, how everybody else's garden has been doing. Uh, I've been going insane trying to keep ahead of everything. Um, the tomato plants are just unbelievable this year. I've got mm. the heavy-duty uh, tomato cages, and they keep on tipping over because they're so loaded with so tomatoes. Loaded. Yep, yep. My pole beans are. Uh, I need a stepladder to get <laughs> to get my pole beans. 
Uh, I picked, uh, let's see, 41 quarts of blackberries this year. Whoa. Just wild ones. Oh, my goodness. And I'm, I, I just I gave up. I said, all right, I'm done. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, once so. that freezer gets full, there's only so much you can, go, you can do, right? right? <laughs> yeah, it's been an exceptional year. I don't know if anybody else's experience has been the same. The only, uh, the only mar that I, you know, in this whole season that I've heard about is uh, – is with the zucchini, uh, people having trouble getting them to fruit. Uh, but, oh. Yeah. It, it, My yellow summer squash has been doing well. Yeah. Of course, you've heard, you've heard the old joke about you can tell somebody doesn't have any friends when you see them in the store buying zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> so, but even those are going crazy. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one of the girls at work, uh, Misty, gave me some yellow zucchini. She had some really beautiful ones that were only, you know, seven or eight inches long. And we, you know, we roasted those with a little Parmesan cheese on top, and they were just absolutely the best. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but the, uh, it was, uh, actually it was Lee who had problems with his zucchini. And, uh, I, I know he's up in the woods a bit and may have had problems. So I suggested, uh, the fertilizing them by hand. Oh, yeah. I'm up, uh, well, I'm up 1700 feet. I live over in Roxbury. So. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. uh, so we get a li- little bit limited, uh, mm-hmm. you know, shorter growing season than, downtown but still it sounds uh, like it did. Just, sounds like it hasn't changed made a made any difference for you this year and that's no, great to hear blue, i'm really glad yeah blue hubbards are just uh phenomenal this year too so oh, wow those yeah. things those things are like a month's supply of of oh yeah squash. yeah yeah i'll i usually donate a bunch of them so oh yeah yeah, there's uh, nobody's going hungry this year. <laughs> How do you use your blue Hubbard? Uh, do you? Uh, usually, I've uh, well, I've cooked it and you know uh, just mashed and you know a little bit of garlic, some brown sugar, and I mean yeah. not garlic, uh, you know a little uh, butter and yeah. brown sugar. And, sure. Um, I also made it into pies, so oh yeah, um, a, a really exceptional pie. Oh, fantastic! Uh, so. Um, but, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, uh, competition for the pumpkin, the the old standard. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they usually do pretty well. I've grown them every year, and uh, last year was they were okay, but this mm-hmm. year they're they're really really uh, you know getting big. So there's well, great. they're starting to turn the blue gray color right now. Mm-hmm. There's a few of them still yellow. Yep, you but, still got uh, a month to to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, so, uh, I'm partial to the butternut myself, and uh, and I've got quite a few green ones, but uh, nothing has started to turn. So I'm, yeah, I never I grew those one year. I didn't mm-hmm. have very good luck with them. Mm-hmm. So maybe it might have been just the uh, you know the might have been that particular year. Yeah, yeah, because so. I'll, I'll routinely grow grow them in there the neck itself is a good 10 inches and then with the bulb it's probably about 16 inches so oh wow yeah so and i like them because uh that neck is just all solid meat and it's really easy to work with you know right right yeah but, the blue um, hubbards are just unbelievable as far as you know oh, gonna... <laughs> you've got to get the saw out no question about oh it, yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah i had one uh number of years ago that uh it was so big i couldn't fit it into my oven <laughs> So I had to break the stem off it and uh, put it in diagonally, and it just barely closed the, uh, the door. You know, I was just waiting for you to say you, that you got the chainsaw out. No, no, <laughs> I'm not that bad. Huh? With a, a butcher knife, but still, they're yeah, they're quite a bit of quite a bit of work. So yeah, yeah. and they store well too. You know, you, yes, you can. Yes. They will keep for quite a while. We we usually wash all our squashes with a. With a, just a, a mild Clorox uh, wash, you know, and yep. uh, just to make sure that they're as clean as can possibly be, because they usually, you know, where they first start to rot, it's usually right uh, right off of some little thing on the skin. Little you know? defect, little yeah. Defect I had uh, chipmunks get into oh, uh, the uh, into the garden and chewed up the, mm-hmm. the neck of one of them. So mm-hmm. that's the one I was telling you about. I had to, you know, put it in diagonally in the oven. It, mm-hmm. it had 19 pints out of one oh, squash. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. 
But wow. uh, all in the, uh, I planted uh, rose gold potatoes this year, which is like a uh, red outside, oh. but it's yellow inside. I'm very familiar with it. It's a wonderful oh. potato. We, we just yeah. had a listener call yeah. who uh, added what that had that <laughs> the old that she. Uh, her experience with Blue Hubbards is that the only thing they're really good for is church suppers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a feeding army. Well, I bring That's them up it. to the veterans' place in there Northfield, so there, there. I donate some up there. So you, you know, we're yep. literally feeding you know a whole bunch of people. So. Exactly. That's great. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if you were listening before, but it's so encouraging when these people, you know, even a home gardener, it's 300 pounds of pears, you know, that's just, that's really just, that's really something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like you're yeah, doing. the blackberries, some of them, about 25 pounds of them will get made into wine this year, so. Oh. <laughs> Gonna keep the vets fed, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's, uh, that's for, that's for, uh, local consumption. Oh, oh. But still, it, uh, it, yeah. it I, I made some from, uh, last year, and it, uh, boy, it was really, you know, it aged very well, so. Well, I'm my. Try my hand again this year. My mother always swore by blackberry brandy for anything that ailed you, even us yes. kids, you know. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Well, very good. Good talking to you guys. All right, Steve. Uh, thanks you know, for the luck. call, and I appreciate right. sharing, and congratulations on a great garden this year. That's yes. just thanks. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. Um, I was going through my checklist on, on uh, tomatoes, ripening tomatoes, mm-hmm. and I think uh, – uh, I, I talked about the pruning the roots and, uh, you know, it, the other thing is if you know you're going to get a hard frost and you have a lot of, uh, um, get a lot of tomatoes on the vine, you can actually cut the, cut it at the, um, at the ground level and hang it, uh, someplace like in your garage where it won't be freezing and, uh, let them finish ripening that way. That's, that's, uh, you know, sort of a quick and easy way to take care of the whole bunch of them. Um, but handle them gently because when you turn them over, some of them, you know, uh, can break off of the vine. So you want to be real careful. Those ones you'll have to wrap in, in newspaper and put away. But uh, um, let's see. So it's interesting because the – Really hard green tomatoes. You can tell which ones those are. There's no, there's no, they're not light green, they're dark green. Okay. Those, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry, I just was cutting people off and rerouting yeah. phone calls. Yeah, but I got her right now, Pat in Montpelier. Oh, We're Pat. gonna talk some peppers in the, in a All second. Alright. Alright, Pat. What do you got on peppers? Hello? You're- you were talking about the shishito. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. How do you cook those? I uh, found some and I want to try them. Oh okay, um, uh, olive oil in a in a fry pan. I, I use a you know a cast iron fry pan, and you heat the oil up, and then you just toss them in there and just keep turning them, and uh, they'll actually uh, bubble or blister a little bit. Uh, all the way around, and you'll see them brown up, um, you know, on all the sides. That's why you just keep turning them in that hot oil. And then at the end, you know, you salt them with uh, with salt or soy sauce and a little bit of uh, lemon juice, and then oh. just eat them. And they're, they're, at this point, they're picking them. They're immature enough that the seeds are, ta- are, are tender and, and really delicious. They will have a little bit of the, the bitterness that you, you sometimes get in a, in a pepper, but uh, for the most part, you know, they're just a wonderful pepper flavor. I, I really enjoyed them. Okay. I saw some, so I thought, yeah. I'm going to try those. Yeah. Were you at the farmer's market? Um, no. Actually, uh, they, they had some given to us at the food pantry. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the way I prepare them. And then, uh, once they're cooked like that, of course, you can, you can mix them into, uh, you know, any kind of a pasta or, or throw them on top of your pizza or, you know, you know we've tried them a bunch of different ways. Uh, and it's, it's new for me. So I'm still exploring. If, uh, if you come across some other recipes, let me know. Uh, but that okay. uh, that that's the the way I've been doing them, right? And they're called frying peppers, so you know that's that's the way I've been handling them so far. 
Okay. Thank you. Okay, Pat. Thanks for the call. Yep. 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 Bye. Bye. There you go. We're getting fried. Okay, so um, let's see. I was talking about oh, hanging up the whole vine. Ah, yes. Yeah. That's if you it. hang up that whole vine, you can hang it. And, and this is, you know, you know that it's not going to, uh, you're not going to be able to protect them. You know, this is the last ditch. This is the last of it. Um, and then, of course, the the final the final thing with tomatoes is. Look at some green tomato recipes <laughs> because some of them are not going to turn at all. <laughs> and uh, like I said, you could usually tell those because they're hard and they're a deep dark green, you know. So mostly if you want them to, to red up, uh, they got to be at least light green to start with or even that slightly pink, um, this light pink that there is on it. You know. But that's a lot to look forward to, and of course, I've always enjoyed the fried green tomatoes, and uh, well, even if you don't bread them, or, and, you know, but the, if you bread them and fry them, they're really good. But if you just fry them, sort of like I was talking about with the green uh, peppers, those frying peppers, mm-hmm. just about the mm-hmm. same treatment, just uh, fry them up. And it's the same way that I'll usually cook my um, uh, eggplant, is uh, just fry it in some, some oil. And and that is a little bit of salt on them, and they're really good. Well, there was that uh, motion picture, fried green tomatoes. I never <laughs> saw it, uh, but it's, I think it was uh, for the ladies mostly. Well, I see it every every um, at the end of every summer. So, <laughs> what's it about? I I don't know. Oh, okay, I really don't know. Um, so uh, let's see now. Um, one of the other things, oh, uh, what can you plant now? That That's, of course, I always try to go through that. And, uh, of course, uh, and all of these will sound sort of uh, old hat because I've mentioned it before. But, of course, uh, you have plenty of time to get a uh, spinach and the tot soy, Claytonia, mat. Uh, red Russian kale does really well in the, in the um, uh, cooler climates at the end of fall. Uh, you can still plant chard for baby chard and then a mesclin for baby greens and arugula. Of course, you can't stop that stuff from growing, but um, you should be planting that basically every couple of weeks just to keep it uh, small and and uh, otherwise it just it gets real stemmy and and really hot unless you really like it real hot. And then look for uh, varieties that specifically say, you know, they're good for for uh, fall um, of lettuce, sort of like um, uh, one called Winter Density and then uh, see the other one, New Red Fire. A lot of your romaines, if you're doing romaines, look for the, the ones that are uh, specifically for small heads. That way you have a chance to... And, uh, well, of course, radishes. Um, do you ever use endive for anything? No, I, uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Not well, except for the, except for the soups that I make. I use the endive, but, um, this is a good time of year to do. And of course, the radishes, they love this kind of weather. And you'll notice that this list is actually almost exactly the same list in April as I use in April. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are plants that like the cold, you know, <laughs> unlike the, your tomatoes and eggplants and peppers. Uh, these guys like the cold. And of course, uh, just another reminder to make sure you uh, source your garlic because uh, they'll be running out soon. Make sure that you have enough garlic to plant for for next year. And uh, that's um, uh, well, I usually I usually get uh, four or five pounds because I'm planting, you know, three or four beds, uh, sixty-four bulbs in each one of them. So. And, uh, oh, baby bok choy is also a good one for the fall because it actually gives you a nice little head, sort of like a baby celery in a way, but it's more tender than celery. And that's a real fast-growing uh, Asian um, uh, um, cabbage plant, yeah. cabbage family plant. So those are the plant now. Um 
Let's see. Yeah, okay. I still have time. Oh, we got uh, you, one more break. You need whatever. a break? Well, we can do that now. Okay. All right. Yeah, and, and then we afterwards do. Afterwards, I'll talk about year-round indoor salad gardening. Then, just for I know there's a guy who has a book about that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Some, some guy. <laughs> some guy. And uh, on a on a serious note, though, uh, the five sponsors that make this program possible support in the garden with Peter Burke each week here on DEV. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. The telephone number is 802-244-1777 for your comments and questions. And once again, here's Peter. Hey, Joel. Uh, this is our 18th show this year. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, by my count, anyway, um, I'm double-checking with Lee because if it is, that means we have two more shows to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, going into September 10th would be our last show, if it's 20 and if they don't want me to do another one. I know they have the house calls coming up uh, for the fall and winter, which is a great show. If, I don't know uh, if you get to listen to that at all, but they're... They're some pretty clever guys, and uh, they sure know how to build a house. Indeed, indeed. I'm just looking to see if mm-hmm. we're not. I don't knock on wood, and, yeah. and it actually is wood. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know kind of particle board, but <laughs> it, that uh, we don't have uh, any Red Sox interference for the next couple of weeks. So okay, we're uh, we're yeah. clear sailing. We're, we're clear there, and. Um, uh, so I, I just wanted to remind everybody that's about uh, two more shows. It will be the September 10th, and we're double-checking with Lee. I'll know better next week on that one. Um, so uh, let's see now. Uh, year-round indoor salad gardening. And uh, mm-hmm. this is, of course, one of my uh, favorite uh, pet you know, pet projects. And uh, um, about this time of year when I was harvesting my garlic, and uh, uh, no, actually it was when I was planting my garlic in, uh, later on in October. It, you know, I, I uh, was really missing the fresh greens. And, of course, you know, I'm, I'm still picking some, some spinach and some of these things that I mentioned, the tatsoi and all the rest, but I knew it was coming. So uh, it was 2005, I started to work on how to grow fresh greens indoors. And I wasn't really happy with the microgreens because they required lights, and I wanted to see if I could do without the lights. So I came up with a system, um, and it's us. I call them soil sprouts. Uh, a lot of people still call them microgreens. Um but they're not sprouts growing in a jar. I, I grow them on on dirt. And one of the the really uh, great parts of it is is I just plant a little bit uh, every day or every couple days, and then I have enough to har- harvest for a day or two. And this way is you plant a little bit, you harvest a little bit. So uh, with the microgreens, a lot of times you're planting big trays and you have to have them under lights. And uh, it it requires a lot of space. So um, for me, I don't have a huge, uh, you know, harvest kitchen. I've got, you know, the cupboard over the, the refrigerator I use for uh, for my plantings. And uh, and actually, one of the the keys to the whole thing is is uh, after you plant your seeds, you put them in the dark for four days. And uh, that way, that actually encourages them to uh, – you're forcing them so that the stems get long. Um, you know, if you were growing uh, uh, these for sets, it would be almost the antithesis of what you wanted. In this case, you know, I want those long stems and those big uh, cotyledon, the seed leaves, uh, to grow. And uh, that's, that's when I um, take them out of the cupboard and put them on the shelf for another, oh, three, four, five days. And, uh, 
This is all detailed in my book, uh, Year-Round Indoor Salad Gardening. It was published by Chelsea Green. It's, uh, um, you know, uh, Brookside uh, you know, uh, Books here in, in Waterbury. It does carry the carry the book and uh, Phoenix Books in, in uh, Burlington. And, of course, you can get them on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And, and actually, if you watch for it, the Chelsea Green uh, um, publishers uh, usually have a good sale on those uh, books as well, if you look through for their sale on them. Anyway, uh, it's kind of my pride and joy. I mm-hmm. really uh, enjoy doing it and uh, absolutely love the harvest. And it l- lets me do my favorite hobby, which is to garden right through the winter. And I, I would say that it actually is a cure for the winter blues or cabin fever or any of those things because, you know, it, it has all the the beauty and the grace and the... Uh, uh, of gardening itself, you know, uh, you see the green plants grow, you water them a little bit every day, you know, you brush them, and, uh, and of course I talk to them and encourage them a little bit, uh, not that I'm, sh- I'm sure that makes any difference to them, but it does to me. And then, of course, I get to go through uh, the shelf and take a look um, uh, what's ready to go, and we harvest it and have a wonderful salad. So from the time I harvest to the time we're actually eating is is a matter of minutes. It might be a half hour, it might be ten minutes, but it's the, so it'll be the freshest thing you ever eat in the, in the mm-hmm. day, you know, other than picking something off a tree and eating it. But these greens, uh, you know, in January are just uh, a wonderful treat. And they are so nutrient-dense um, that, uh, you know, they're, they're really good for you. This is a left-field question, but yeah. you have a house cat? My, my, my <laughs> little Bengal cat, and I'm sure, you know, not just because she's a Bengal, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. she will chew down just about any plant that any I plant, have. Yeah. That I yeah. <laughs> have there. I'm well, very, actually very careful well, if I do go to, uh, uh, you know, Clausen's, which yeah. is one of our fine sponsors near yeah. me, and I just see an interesting little plant yep. or an herb. Or, yep. So I buy that and put it on the windowsill. Yep. And I, you there know, four to five times it gets <laughs> chewed down by the cat. Not that, you know, I, I, I don't know whether she enjoys eating it or it's just a reflex or she mm-hmm. just wants to be mean or, or, right. or whatever. But, uh, no, so th- th- you haven't had that problem. <laughs> I know I, it's probably the number one thing that a lot of people uh, talk about, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing that I do, and and uh, since I no longer have a cat, uh, and the dog, of course, is not interested yeah. at all, um, uh, is I knew from the beginning that it could be a problem. So I had a spray bottle, a squirt gun, actually. Uh-huh. And anytime she got close to that, Very I squirted good. her. It works good. And, yeah. and uh, it, she finally gave up, and she was convinced that, okay, this is a no-go. Huh. Huh. Uh, and so what I do, Joel, this is a shelf that I have that's 20 inches wide and 6 feet tall. And I put that right in front of a regular old window. You know, it it will fit in about any old window you have in your house, and uh, in the in the bottom of the one that I built, uh, there's a cupboard there that that serves for the four days of dark. So I put, you know, the trays in the in the bottom right. cupboard, yeah. and then after Works four days, yep. I put them up. Beautiful system. And and so uh, that's my guarded yeah. spot. There and so there's no lights, you know, you don't no recirculating pumps, no hydroponic anything, and uh, and you can you can get about a pound of fresh greens every wow. day off of that one little. I, it is it really is just an amazing uh, feat, and I I just so enjoy it versus the. Uh, the sprouts in a jar because you're constantly rinsing those things. And if you miss a rinsing, then you have mush in there. Um, and I like it better than the microgreens because you don't need the lights and, and all the setup and the trays for the lights. And, um, you know, that's just sort of my cup of tea. I really like it. And it's been a, I get a lot of nice feedback on, uh, on both my Facebook and, and emails that people email to me. So, it's. I know a lot of other people are enjoying it, and it just lets you garden all season long. Wow! Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you have your onions and your tomatoes and all things, those frozen or canned or dried or whatever. All those things you can get through a year with, but the fresh greens, you know, this fills that spot. And then occasionally during the summer when uh, the lettuce that I plant have decided to bolt, you know, you know that you can have fresh greens in seven days. That's mm-hmm. it. From yep. the time you plant to the time you harvest, just seven days. So... Um, check it out, and it's a it's a, a real uh, good news for the winter. You know, when you're going into winter, and, you, and all of us are sort of, you know, I've seen the first leaves turn on the county road. I don't know about you, but uh, you know, we're up in yeah, in central Vermont, where where it's a little bit colder than over there in the banana belt, but we see the leaves are turning. Yeah, we noticed a few leaves turning in the, in the park, in airport park. Mm-hmm. Also a good year for that wild parsnip that you don't want to oh. go anywhere near. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Very pretty yellow flowers. Looks like goldenrod. In fact, some, some of it is goldenrod, but most of it that where I happen to be is that wild parsnip. Don't, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's one of the things where if you get it on your hands and on your, especially in your eye, don't want to do that. Yeah. But it's only afterwards mm-hmm. that it uh, starts to burn, so mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, you don't uh, get it right away. You don't, yeah. So be very careful. It's not like a singing nettle. Now, I, my impression of it was that the flower looks a lot like a, a Queen Anne's lake uh, lace. But yeah, it, but yeah. it's but it's yellow instead of white. Correct. The, and uh, the golden rods kind of grows up. Grows kind of up a little on straight. A, yeah, sort of like an amaranth yeah, or something. Right. But it's more of, of, of a filigree for the wild yeah. parsnip. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, and un- oddly enough, it was spread by the the sand that they used to sand the roads with. Is that right? That's where it all comes from. <laughs> So that's why you see it on the interstate all over the place. But apparently it reacts with the sweat on your yes. on your skin. Yeah. So, you know, uh, they just the best uh, cure is to soap and water as soon as you can. And if uh, you're confused as to whether it's a goldenrod or an, or any other yellow flower, just stay away from the yellow flowers. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, there are prettier wildflowers to play around with than, yeah. than the yellow ones. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I have heard, matter of fact, my wife knows a couple of people she did taxes for and who, uh, he got really, you know, he got really hit because he was, before anybody knew what it was, he was out there pulling it for his mom in her garden and, and of course hot and sweating and, uh, yeah. he was really badly blistered. Yeah, so, also where my, where my uh, dog likes to find the baseballs in the park that I've talked about. <laughs> there are plenty of, uh, plenty of, uh, poison ivy there too. <laughs> and I, I, she finds a lot of the baseballs, mm-hmm. uh, gets a treat every time she finds yeah. one. So yeah. that's like her mission. But the point, the point being is that I, th- I, I think some of the uh, people are, are wise that they know the ball is somewhere in that area, but they don't want to go in because of the poison the ivy. Poison of course, ivy. my dog doesn't care, yeah. you know, so yeah. she goes right in there. Yeah. And I've gotten some poison ivy on me from just, uh, Petting the dog. You know? Yeah, I was going to ask you if, if there was any, any problem. You have to hose her down when you're done. Yeah, I bet she loves that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's interesting because I, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I got poison ivy terrible. And then not so much anymore. But, boy, mm. this has been a, quite a year for it. Those three flowers. There's no mistaking the poison, the poison ivy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, three flowers, did you say? Oh, not three flowers, three leaves. The, the leaves, yeah. Three leaves, okay, three, yeah. Three, yeah, three yeah. leaves. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, it's a good thing. Well, you guys got it a lot worse than we do over there. I, I know I've walked in a few back roads along, uh, or along the lake there, and I've just been surprised by, you know, it's it just covers the side of the road, you know. Well, you know, whereas the... Plants that you cultivate for all the wonderful, you know, mm-hmm. gardening vegetables mm-hmm. and fruits that we talk yeah. about. Yeah. You gotta have, you know, precise watering and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Weeds will grow no matter yeah. where. No and matter so what. with the intermittent watering and the drought and then, <laughs> The, this has been a year for weeds. So the yeah. one year that I don't have a garden and then I haven't yeah. really uh-huh. put out the wildflower seed like I said, the annual wildflower mm-hmm. seed, mm-hmm. my my back 
my backyard. It's, I've never seen so many <laughs> weeds, and, and it's gonna. I have. To, I'm gonna have to brush hog the place before it's a jungle before winter. It really is because I, I don't want to have to face it next well, spring. Now, did you know um, there's a jewel weed, and it grows usually uh, pretty much in the same places that you see uh, um, poison ivy. Huh. And it's a, it's sort of a translucent uh, stem, uh, really delicate, but it has a distinguished little orange flower. Hmm. And you'll see that right along, uh, uh, you know, riverbanks or uh, creeks or even, you know, just marshy places. I, I was just looking at that with my son and I said, well, you know, you know, that one, the jewelweed over there, that you can use as an antidote for poison ivy. Huh. So if you know you've been someplace with poison ivy, um, you know, you just crumple it up and make it juicy and then, you know, uh, rub yourself with it. And it's even so effective that uh, one of my friends back huh. in Ohio where there's a lot of poison ivy, he was very, um, very susceptible to poison ivy. He actually uh, wadded it up and, you know, juiced it up and put it in uh, the freezer so that if he uh, he happened to get in some poison ivy when he went home, he would, uh, the jewel weed. Um, yeah, look it up because it, it's got a... It's got a real tender kind of stem, long stem, and, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, long leafy stems. And then the very distinguished uh, orange, little orange flower that uh, almost looks like a snapdragon, but it's about half the size. It's really small. Well, interesting. It was uh, when I was a kid, I would get it, and my mother would just slather this calamine lotion. <laughs> yeah. you remember that? Yeah. Well, absolutely. That's it. In fact, I've been covered with that a few times. Let me see. <laughs> there was a great song by the Coasters. Remember you know, Poison Ivy? <laughs> poison Ivy. Yeah. Let's see if I can find it. At that. night when you're sleeping, Poison Ivy comes to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Listen to this. She comes on like a rose. But everybody knows She'll get you in touch You can look, but you better not touch Poison Ivy Poison Ivy Late at night while you're sleeping Poison Ivy comes to Well, I don't know if it's late at night when you're sleeping, but <laughs> there's another... Some story to that song, but at any rate, you, you will need an ocean of calamine lotion. Remember one of the lines in there, any rate. Yeah. Well, when, uh, but anyway, there's plenty of it, and uh, a smart kid is one who knows not to chase the ball into the poison ivy patch. Because they're my whole point being, it's they're twice as big and. Twice yeah. as uh, yeah. abundant this year than they ever have been for some reason. Weeds yeah. seem to love droughts and yeah. things that hurt other plants because they just take right over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a picture here of jewelweed on, on the computer, uh, so I'll, I'll bring oh, it we'll over take a look after. That, yeah. after. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I think that we're pretty close to. Yeah, I'm sorry, fi- close some to final time. words and. Uh, yeah, final words would yeah. be um, check out the year-round indoor salad gardening and. Uh, Give me a call next week and let me know what you think and see if, see if you have any questions on, on indoor gardening as well. All right, guys. Good to talk to you. Thanks for your calls, all of you, and we'll see you in the garden. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. Pulling weeds and picking stones, man is made of dreams and bones. Feel the need to grow my own, cause the time is close at hand.
The time is close at hand. It is harvest time. A lot of folks can help you with that, including the Willie Store, family-owned since 1900 in Greensboro. All your canning equipment there. Poly Construction on Gregory Drive, South Burlington. One call does it all. you finally going to make that greenhouse. Montpelier Agway, your locally-owned Montpelier Agway on East Montpelier Road. By Menards, family-owned True Value Store, another great everything store, right there on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. And in my neck of the woods, Clausen's Florist Greenhouse and Perennial Farm in Colchester. Top-quality Vermont-grown plants since 1972. V's Flowers and Garden Shop. Flowers, hanging baskets, annuals, houseplants, potting supplies, and more in Waitsfield. Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's largest independent home center. Sticksandstuff.com for store locations and hours. P&R Lumber, Route 15 in Wolcott. Fine family milled lumber for all your many projects. And great advice and the great experts there. They're on Facebook, P&R Lumber. Guys Farm and Yard. If it eats and grows, guys can feed it. Guysfarmandyard.com. And by Dandelion Acres Garden Center in Bethel. They sponsor the a podcast of In the Garden. Online at dandelionacres.com. Dandelion.